and welcome to another edition of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a great deal of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am, as always, your humble correspondent and host. My name is John Steinberg, and I am joined alongside by my wonderfully gifted and talented co-host who goes by the name of Santino Mayoni, you guessed it, back again with another great episode of Visionaries. We are going to start off like we always do, <clears throat> excuse me, with our main first segment, Words to Live By. And this week, I got to choose the quote, and this is the quote that I chose. Here it goes. We must be willing to let go of the life we have, we have planned so as to accept the life that is waiting for us. And that was said by Joseph Campbell. So, John, when you hear that quote, and all it has to offer, what does it invoke in you? Um, what, what, what are your feelings and thoughts about it? I remember, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll mention this quote. I remember the movie Blow, which came out, oh, about 20 some odd years ago now. One of the adages, which I took away from that movie was, <clears throat> life passes most people by while they're making grand plans for it. So when I hear this type of thing, from the guy who wrote The Hero's Journey and created almost a cottage industry around analyzing different pieces of culture, be they literature, what turned out to be movies, plays, etc. So it's particularly of note that a gentleman with as much wisdom as Joseph Campbell would defer to the argument that adaptability is the key to survival. What we just talked about um, in prior installments of the program with stuff like goalball or being able to travel, cook, blah, 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 blah. These are all offshoots of the idea that being adaptable is the way to a happy life. And we see variations of this in all walks of life. Uh, be it the entertainment industry, what it's like to teach children in contemporary America, all of what we experience today, all of that has come as a long result of trying things out, seeing what works and being adaptable. So you could go and make a life plan for yourself for the next 50 years. I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that followed by this, and uh, ultimately I'm going to land in column A or column B. And then something happens, unforeseen, a la the pandemic, that forces you to alter that way of thinking, to be adaptable, to go with life as it comes to you. you know, so, this I yeah, so this idea of being adaptable, being able to change, uh, roll with the punches, as it were, and... Um, continue being successful in spite of how off kilter your path may become. Yeah. And, and that was the main thing I took away from it too, is that a lot of people in, in again, in life, just, they want to have everything figured out. They want to have a plan and they want to follow that plan exactly to a T and, you know, almost follow like a script they have written out for themselves. And that's not how life works. Life, again, like you said, is going to throw things at you that you could have never seen coming or it's going to throw just any kind of obstacle or hindrance that it can. And you have to, like you said, be willing to be adaptable. 
and willing to accept the change and say, you know what, this is what I had planned, but it can't happen anymore. That's not how it's going to go. So I need to accept that this is what's waiting for me. This obstacle was thrown at me for a reason. You know, if I'm like giving off that hypothetical, let's say this obstacle was thrown at me and you have to think of it in the way of, all right, this happened for a reason. This is now kind of not allowing for what I had planned to occur. So now I need to just go with what will happen as a result, if that makes sense. So it really is, like you said, just about being able to adapt, accepting the changes, accepting life's curves and, you know, just everything that it throws at you and being able to understand that I'm not going to be able to plan everything out in my life. And that the, and you know, everything I wanted to do, if you had like a, like you said, a 50 year plan, 10 year plan, whatever the hell it may be, you need to be able to accept that your life is going to change and just do what comes to you and just roll with the punches. Like you said, definitely. I mean, we talk about adaptability basically every episode uh, on visionaries because it's one of the real quote unquote secret sauces to being successful in life. Um, Look at American history, the way in which basically every single industry I mentioned teaching earlier, the entertainment, everything changes. So don't get bogged down in the minutia of those specific changes, be able to see things at a more holistic, overarching level. And uh, I think you'll do a lot better. Be open to change and uh, it'll become your friend. That's the main message for sure. We'll move on to our next segment, Handprints Hall of Fame. Now, John, you selected our new latest inductee for this episode. Who did you pick? I did. I did. So again, uh, for folks who are with us for the first time or are not longtime listeners, what we're going for here is the visually impaired equivalent of the sort of walk of fame. And the best way that we thought to be able to represent that was like they do right outside Grumman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. We have our inductees place their hands down in the pavement, thereby enshrining their legacies forever. So for this week, we're going to be enshrining musician Tom Sullivan. Sullivan, born in Massachusetts in 1947, is something of a Renaissance man. At times, an incredibly gifted musician who challenges himself by tackling different genres, an actor at different intervals over the course of his career, a sometimes wrestler, a motivational speaker, and someone, there's this tendency when you think about those in the visually impaired community who have gone on to great success, to think about people like Ray Charles, um, Stevie Wonder, Helen Keller, who seem as though they were almost gifted with godlike ability so that it can be intimidating to go, oh, well, okay, yes, Ray Charles went on to have the kind of success that he had while blind, but Ray Charles has a singular special talent that if you were born with it, great. If you weren't, it's kind of hard to harness and obtain it. With Tom Sullivan, this is a story that I don't necessarily think revolves around somebody with godlike ability who's 
musical stylings and talents are not so intimidating that you feel like if I'm trying to be the next Tom Sullivan, I have no idea where I would even think to start. But yet he's managed to get himself to the top of each respective field that he's been able to mount a challenge at. Uh, And his singing, it came on my radar. I studied abroad in Ireland a number of years ago, and a number of his songs have this really fun Irish panache to them. They're very much of a tradition of like a long, illustrious sort of Celtic music tradition. Uh, But then he does stuff like performing the national anthem at the at Super Bowl 10, singing in front of live audiences all across this country and indeed around the globe. And his memoir, if you could see what I hear, was turned into a successful 1980s film. So for being a genuine, all-around, successful Renaissance man, Tom Sullivan, welcome to Handprints Hall of Fame. Santino, uh, was this the first time that uh, you'd heard of Mr. Sullivan or what were some of your thoughts and perspective on why we are enshrining him this week? Yeah, it was, it was the first time I had heard of him. And I think it was a great uh, selection to make for our, our newest inductee because he is the definition of what a visionary is. And, you know, like you kind of alluded to, he didn't just have like one thing that made that, that, that made him well known. Again, he, Obviously, his career as a singer songwriter and his musical talent, that was, you know, the main thing I feel like I found at least when kind of researching him and looking him up. But, you know, you also see that he was a member. He's a member of the Wrestling Hall of Fame. He was a marathon runner. He's an he was an avid skier. He's a golfer like he he does all of these different things. You, you can consider himself an athlete, not somebody who who, you know, competes on the professional level constantly, but he takes part in a lot of different things. He was educated at the Perkins School for the Blind, Providence College, Harvard. Like he has a long, long history of, you know, places that he's been and just things that he's accomplished over time. And I think it's also interesting just to note that, you know, something something else that I had found, you know, just how he did lose his sight. He was born three months premature and he was given too much oxygen in, in the incubator that saved his life, but that unfortunately cost him his sight. So to hear a story like that, that just and how he lost his sight and what he had to go through at, you know, right, right out of being born, not even, you know, being alive for a year at that point, he had to go through something as an infant that is just like, just, just, just just unheard of in terms of, I've never heard of something like this happening before. And for him to lose his sight and not let that stop him and for him to achieve everything that he's done in his career I think that it was a great selection. And again, like I said, at the start of my, at the start of my intro of Tom Sullivan, he is what anyone and everybody should, should consider a visionary despite not having literal eyesight, which is again, our mantra that we start the show off with every single week. Right. So Tom Sullivan, congratulations. You are the latest inductee into our handprints hall of fame. Definitely. It was a great, great inductee for this week. We'll move on to our next segment, Profiles and Courage, where we're actually going to interview the executive director of the Long Island Bombers, a team that participates in a beat baseball league for the blind and visually impaired community. 
And we're going to interview Ted Fass on just kind of what beat baseball is, how the team came to be, and why it is so important to have teams like the Long Island Bombers and to promote adaptive sports. Ted, maybe tell our audience a little bit about what beat ball is before we get into the questions and kind of introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, beat baseball is a game for blind and visually impaired athletes. It's the closest thing to real baseball. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what led to the creation of this team and why was it so important to have a team like the Long Island Bombers? In uh, 1998, I was approached by somebody who is familiar with uh, baseball. It does exist throughout the United States. And uh, one day I received a phone call in my office asking me if I would be interested in baseball. Um, you know, he explained to me what it was about and I, I got really, really excited because I had never played baseball since I was 11 uh, when I lost my sight and I was in Little League and this was really exciting. And uh, that was that was a start. That's awesome that, you know, it, it provided you that opportunity to play to, to play a version of baseball again. What do you think the Long Island Bombers and just that this entire beat baseball league kind of does for the community of visually impaired athletes and kind of what it does for them as a whole? Well, when I, when I first started, uh, I would say up until like eight years ago, I was a player. So I was very involved in, in the playing part. I helped recruiting volunteers and, and players. But now being semi-retired, the biggest pleasure and reward that I get is to get these new players who are blind and visually impaired involved and to watch them grow. It's an amazing thing to watch them grow socially, uh, networking with other, um, you know, blind and visually impaired. They, you know, they become friendly. Uh, they talk about their disabilities. They talk about, um, you know, different social things. And it's just interesting to see how they become friendly. A lot of the players, when they first come uh, to the team, aren't that involved with social activities. Um, you know, I think their parents are a little overprotective. The, the, some of the uh, players we've had never had seen a baseball field before. So they, they don't even know that the grass is green. They don't know what a bat feels like. Um, so, you know, we instruct them and, and show them, you know, if you know uh, what a baseball trophy looks like, where there's um, the, the, the person on the trophy is holding a baseball bat, we give them the trophy so they could feel the actual, um, you know, positioning of where the bat is and how they stand. The volunteers show them that at practice. You know, we teach them how to run through the base. It's just an amazing thing just to watch these kids just grow. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it, it's again, great that they have this opportunity. So obviously there is an, uh, you know, an entire beat baseball league with a bunch of teams that get to compete against each other. You guys, I know have tournaments coming up. You've had tournaments in the past where you guys compete against different teams. Would you, in terms of adaptive sports, what do you hope to see maybe in other sports besides baseball, maybe basketball, you can think about soccer, any other sports that you could think of, even, even golf per se, what do you hope to see in terms of the growth of adaptive sports going into the future? They do have other sports. They have goalball. Uh, one of our players is also involved in a blind hockey team. Uh, I belong to the National Golf Association, so I play golf, which is, I, I love it. Um, 
I, I think, you know, the, one of the things that they would like to do get is to get this into the Paralympics. Yeah, I think that'd be honestly just a, a great thing to, sh- to shine more light on beat baseball because I feel like it's something that really hasn't become mainstream yet and not a ton of people know about it. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to attend that event, you know, write the article about, about you guys and about what you guys do in the community and just, you know, have you on the podcast today, because I think it is really important to shine a light on beat baseball and adaptive sports in general, because it really, really, really is a great, great thing that you guys provide this opportunity for people. Um, What what you saw the other day was a demo. It was an exhibition game where we've created some modified rules and we play against a sighted team. So it's, it's not the real deal, but you know, you get defensive practice, you you know, you get some batting practice, but on, on the 25th of June is the beast of the East um, that we're hosting out here in East Meadow, Long Island, where we're playing against other blind um, beat baseball teams. And that's the real deal. That's where you see the competition. That's exciting. Definitely. And you get to, and you get to see everybody get that competitive fire and competitive edge in, you know, within John, if you want to ask a few of your questions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Ted, I think a lot of our listeners who are unfamiliar with beat baseball are just simply wondering what are some of the different uh, rules, Um, alterations. uh, I mean, I think a lot of people who've never heard of the concept are surprised that it does exist. And if you could explain for our audience, maybe some of the adaptive rules that are put into place so that everyone uh, competes and gets a great deal out of the experience. Well, the first thing is the pitcher and the catcher are on our team. So they're not trying to get us out. The pitcher is sighted and the catcher is sighted and he's located 20 feet from home plate and his command is set ready pitch and it's all about timing to create the level swing and it's the job of the pitcher to meet the batter's bat even though the ball is beeping when it comes to you you can't adjust quick enough to uh, let's say a ball that would be outside or high so it's all about timing and a level swing that would be the first thing the second thing is that there's a spotter out in center field who is sighted on our team who calls out a number which tells the player that the ball is coming to their zone. There are six different zones, like first, second, third, short. There's a left fielder, right field. The positioned a little differently than baseball, but it gives them a heads up knowing that the ball is coming to their area, but that's where you have to be able to focus on the ball that's beeping, okay? The ball beeps. The bases are 100 feet away, not 90, like in regular baseball. They're four feet high and they're made out of foam rubber and they buzz. There's somebody behind home plate who's operating um, the buzzer and it's random. So we don't know if we're gonna be going to first base or to third base. When you're playing another blind team, the way the uh, scoring goes is you gotta get to the base first or third, whichever is buzzing before the defense has possession. If you get there before they have possession, you get a run. If they get the ball before you get the first, there's an out. There's no throwing the ball around um, to anybody because of safety, obviously. And um, I would say those are the main things. So you uh, you mentioned I've played uh, goal ball in the past, and uh, I'd never heard of beat baseball. 
And what you just described, I mean, magnificent is the word that comes to mind. Uh, truly innovative, a real example of ingenuity in the world of adaptive sports. So, so can you talk to us a bit about what it does for the, uh, the players, the athletes, the guys that compete and, um, you know, maybe uh, it, how it serves as a bonding experience uh, or just some of the benefits that these athletes are able to receive as a result of playing? Well, like I said before, um, number one, from a physical point of view, it gets you in shape. It's a great activity. You got to be able to run. You should be able to get to a first base, you know, under six seconds um, to be able to have a chance to, um, you know, score a run if, if the player receives the ball. So, you know, you got you to be in good shape. So the, the physical aspect is one thing. And like I mentioned before, the social um, part, I find to be amazing because I've seen um, some of my teammates grow from not even hardly socializing or talking. And through the baseball, through this, our team, that just became the vehicle of developing these kids and I keep on calling them the kids. They're not kids. They're in their 20s, all the way up to their 50s or 60s or whatever. Gives them the opportunity to, you know, um, network. Um, we had one player um, who was very sheltered. And now he has a job. He has a family. Um, just an amazing, amazing story. It's very rewarding for me, you know, to see that just a baseball team is the vehicle to develop these um these people uh, to create a future and, and it's just a great feeling. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Santino, um, it, you got to cover, I mean, one of these games in person. Um, what was it was like just to see that play out and yeah, no, your experience in covering the game, Santino. And yeah. for me again, like, like Ted mentioned, it was more of an exhibition match because they weren't playing against another um uh, another blind beat baseball team. They were play They had modified rules for the sighted team. They were, um, I believe they were wearing blindfolds. If I remember correctly, Ted, when they would have to try to hit the ball and then run to the base and right. you guys, I, I did have to leave a little bit midway through the game, but what I do remember is that you guys were beating them pretty handedly. Um, but it was just a great experience just to see even a little glimpse of what beat baseball is like again. Cause Ted said it, it is definitely a lot more competitive when they're playing against another um, blind team. And it's just, it's probably a different atmosphere, but again, me being able to experience just a little glimpse of what that is like with the modified rules for the sighted team. And of course the Long Island bombers, I think that it was a great experience for me to witness it. And I would recommend that anybody and everybody who can, um, does their own research about, uh, you know, beat baseball and just trying to really, really see what this whole game is about and what it does for so many people, because it really, really is a great, a great sport and a great activity for, for, for these people. I mean, Ted was saying, calling them kids, but these adults, whatever age they are for these people, people to be able to participate in an event like this and a sport like this, it's great. And I'm, you know, just excited and happy that we were able to have you on the show, especially here today, Ted, and that I was able to come cover that event and hopefully we'll be able to attend more events in the future. Yeah, that would be great, because what you actually saw was part of our mission, you know, uh, Long Island Bombers mission is to educate the public. And that's what we did. We had a lot of spectators, even the players that were there, you know, they got to see what it was like to be able to play baseball the blind way. 
Yeah. And I remember there were people sitting in the crowd and we were kind of, and I mean, a few other people kept, you know, almost like asking you questions saying, wait a second. So like, how does that work? How does this work? So really, <laughs> it, it really was like an educational kind of event because again, right. not just myself, but other people in the crowd kept wondering like, wait a minute, why is he running to third first? Like all that different kind of stuff. Because again, no one, people have never seen this before, at least those who attended the event. So it was great to see the camaraderie between everybody and everyone kind of just learning about really what it is and almost enjoying it. And it seemed like everybody had a great time, which was no, awesome. They did that an awesome time. Yeah, definitely. Ted, Thank you so much for coming on the show today and allowing me to attend the event um, the other day. And, you know, the, the, I am writing an article about you guys. It will be done soon, but I do appreciate you coming on the show today and being able to educate our listeners and tell, tell them a little bit about beat baseball and what the Long Island Bombers are all about. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Thanks Take so care. much, Ted. Great, great interview. So thankful that uh, Ted was able to make time for us here at Visionaries. Santino, before we get into our next segment, I was curious how you came about covering this event because i have a long you know history with the visually impaired community and i'll be just candid i've never heard of beat baseball and i think our audience would find it fascinating how you came to this event this period yeah so i was because i do my work for ability media and the main um the main topic that I try to focus on with my articles is adaptive sports. Um, I've written articles about a golf championship tournament that was happening um, that will be happening, I believe in July that is centered around um, the disabled community, people that are visually impaired, you know, even like veterans that have lost their limbs in war, stuff like that. I, that's my, my main focus when I write articles for them or cover different events. So I basically just kind of went online and looked up, you know, general adaptive sports on Long Island, obviously where I'm from. And as I did more and more research, I eventually came across the Long Island Bombers. And then I looked them up on Instagram and I kept going kind of down this rabbit hole. And I eventually just kind of learned about what the team was, what they did. And I, I still wanted to learn more. So we reached out to, you know, my, my team at Ability Media, the other members, and was like, hey, would this, would this be something that you guys would like me to go cover? Because it's about, like, they were having an event in, I believe, Glen, Glen Cove, about 30 minutes from my house. <clears throat> so I was, you know, why, why not? Why don't I not go cover this and just, you know, learn more and see what it's all about and give something for even Ability Media to continue to cover, give us the opportunity to have Ted on the show, and just to really learn more about Beat Baseball. So that was kind of how I, I wasn't necessarily kind of looking for this. I just happened to find it. And then again, it kind of went down the rabbit hole and that's really the, the quick, the quicker version of the story of how I came across them. But it's just an example as we often preach on visionaries about initiative, uh, taking the proverbial bull by the horns, going out there looking for something and having no idea that it exists. But when you take the initiative, Put some elbow grease into it. There's no telling what you can find and how it will impact the rest of your life. So awesome, awesome interview. So glad that our audience was able to hear about the baseball from our great guest, Ted. So now to our next segment, which is representation and respect in the media. This week, I was the guy who picked the movie. I did pick a movie this time. One that I hadn't seen in probably a decade, but it left an indelible impression upon me the first time around. So I figured we should talk about the 2010 apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic thriller drama 
the book of Eli with Denzel Washington, Gary Oldman, Mila Kunis, a younger Mila Kunis, uh, directed by the Hughes brothers. So the film tells the story of a world that exists after a cataclysmic nuclear holocaust. We're like 30 years on from this terrible global event that basically stripped society down to its most essential parts. You've got different factions of folks vying for control within these makeshift towns and communities. But our main character here is Eli Denzel Washington, who portrays a gentleman who's carrying around a copy of what we learn to be the Bible, the last one in existence. And everyone vying for control in this modified version of the United States and the world, more broadly speaking, wants a copy, wants this copy of the Bible? Will it have the types of secrets and information that'll help whoever uncovers it to become the leader of a new society? Any number of possibilities are on the table with this book. And the only guy who has a copy is Eli, as portrayed by Denzel Washington. What did you think? Was this the first time that you'd heard of, uh, of the film or had you seen it before, Santino? Uh, no, I'd never heard of this film before. It was the first time I had seen it. And just, you know, even after watching it, reading a little bit about it and kind of looking up some like plot synopsis, trying to just better understand it. Because whenever I watch a movie through the first time, you know, especially in a movie like this, where it's like a post-apocalyptic world and all that kind of stuff in it, I do tend to maybe not focus on all of like the most important plot points within the movie sometimes. So I always like to read up a little bit on it and kind of just make sure I fully understood and grasped the main storyline of the movie. And it was really, really cool just to see, I mean, first off, just to watch a movie about a post-apocalyptic world. I've seen other movies that kind of take place in that sort of setting and it was, I do enjoy them. So that was kind of fun for me to be able to see, but it was just really, really interesting to see the, the dynamic of the, I guess like three really main characters. Obviously we mentioned Eli played by Denzel. And then I believe Mila Kunis's character's name was Solara. If that's how you pronounce it. And then uh, Carnegie played by Gary Oldman. So I think those three main characters and the kind of dynamic between the three of them as Eli kind of goes on this journey with um, the copy of the book and really kind of at the I guess not, not towards the end, I shouldn't say, but we kind of figure out uh, throughout the movie that the book he possessed and the book that he was, because re- he read the book pretty much I be- while he possessed it, he was reading it every single night. And we learned that the book was actually written in Braille. And that kind of, even though I, I don't believe we ever really get any other confirmation besides that, that, the, that Eli, that character is blind, but because we find out that the book is written in Braille, we do eventually learn that he is actually blind, which I found to be really, really interesting. So there's a reveal here. So for those that haven't seen it, it's already kind of been spoiled, but (laughs) we learn, I don't know, maybe three fourths of the way through the movie that Eli is in fact blind. And the copy of the Bible that he's possessing carrying around is written exclusively in Braille. And then we learn that he has actually memorized the entire King James version of the Bible from cover to cover. 
by the end of the film, we find ourselves in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Alcatraz makes an appearance, which was a little strange. And this book, this Bible written in Braille, only understood by Eli, is then dictated aloud to another person so that it can be preserved for posterity and you can go make other copies of it. Like the ending of the movie involves what appears to be a Johann Gutenberg-like printing press apparatus printing out different copies of the Bible. So in the end, we go back to the beginning, basically. But this idea of Eli being blind, having that be a plot twist, basically, what were your feelings there with Yes, we're led in the direction that Eli, something's going on with Eli that we don't necessarily understand. And maybe we're led along a river toward believing that he might have visual impairments of some kind. But when we actually find out that the book's written in Braille and that he is blind, what did you feel or your thoughts about the blindness revelation being utilized like a plot twist um i mean it was obviously kind of it, it was obviously like you said a big reveal and i did before giving the spoiler warning i did you know reveal that obviously but in terms of the way the movie used it and how they utilized it as you know essentially i wouldn't say a plot device but a big reveal that did further along that, that helped the plot you know further along I don't I, I think it was utilized pretty well because you know it kind of like you said at the, at, at the end towards the end of the movie he recites the entire book from memory because he was the only one that was able to fully understand and comprehend it and I think that just the whole idea that the, that this bible was written in braille and that whole concept to me it was it, it was it was just really interesting and it was something that I honestly didn't see coming, um, despite the fact that, you know, obviously we were watching it for, you know, to discuss on this podcast. I didn't really see it coming. I didn't see that reveal happening because we were already three fourths the way into the movie about, like you said, and I was like, all right, well, I think, you know, th th I think this would have come earlier on, but I liked how they did. They didn't throughout the movie place so much of an emphasis on the fact that he was blind and they kind of kind of they kind of brought it in later into the film um and it wasn't the main main plot point throughout the entire movie so i found that pretty interesting and i kind of liked that and when you've got an actor of denzel's caliber it's another thing that we continue coming up against uh, as we talk about various movies pieces of pop culture that feature blind characters uh a lot of it depends on the performance. And when you've got Denzel Washington, who um, if you had like a fantasy draft of the best performers in the world, I think I'd take him number one. He can sell pretty much anything, even this awful, awful, like with a capital A and not in a fun way, um, like I've talked about in the past, but just really bad movie called The Little Things came out a year and a half ago. He even makes that somehow mildly amusing just because he is I mean maybe the greatest of all time he's in the discussion uh and what they do here the Hughes brothers uh the writers and directors of the film whose prior credits include stuff like dead presidents 
uh, Menace to Society, From Hell. I'm tempted to use the word cool. It's, it's cool what they do with the reveal, actually. Uh, I was prepared on second viewing to be annoyed. Like, oh, okay, we're using blindness as a plot device and none of that. But because it's Denzel Washington, the gravitas that he carries with him everywhere he goes on screen, uh, it makes this movie, this story, and the fact that he's blind and that's a revelation, it makes it come to life, uh, truly. And so much of this film with the post-apocalyptic nature of it and society has to start anew, there's an f- interesting duality going on with the gentleman who literally can't see being in possession of the thing that's ultimately going to make everyone see in the larger sense. You know, it, it is a very fascinating story. And again, I really did enjoy it. And like I said, I think the the fact that they did use the, they, they revealed the blindness towards the end. And it was like, yeah, you, you could get that sense of, oh, okay, here we go. They're going to use blindness as a plot point, And it's just, it's only going to be there just to further along the plot and for no other act reason but I think the fact that they kind of saved that and didn't put so much of an emphasis on it throughout the entire movie almost I, I I like that and I think it was a responsible way that they implemented blindness into the movie I don't know if you agree with that because I again like like you said it kind of was cool how they how they did the reveal and again because it's Denzel maybe if it was somebody else we wouldn't feel the same way but because it's Denzel Washington you know I think that it, it, it almost made it better and it made it come through in a, in a more positive and just a better overall light than it would have perhaps if it was some other actor. Yeah. Like Leslie Nielsen might've been a, a tougher sell, for example, yeah. picture what if Mr. Magoo was in possession of this book, the book of Magoo, if you will, I don't think it would have worked quite as well in no, any event. Definitely not. No, no, nor, um, the book of Ron Burgundy, a- any any of those um, more comedically oriented characters. Don't know if it's going to work quite as well, but in any event, uh, it does seem like we are in lockstep here in recommending the book of Eli, um, if only for the Denzel performance alone, uh, but the direction, it's it's a good movie. It's uh, it's well worth your time in in our opinion, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We'll move on to our final segment of the episode. As always, John is featured heavily in Connecting the Dots, and he is going to tell us, again, yet another incredible story about his experiences living in the world while being blind. So we had an amazing guest on uh, during the Profiles and Courage segment today. So it compelled me to begin a... Discuss a sports-related story with the nature of beat baseball and how it brings those who participate, coaches, players, family members, how it helps to bond them. That story inspired me just like the, and a hold for uh, those who want to laugh, but it's not a laughing matter anymore. Uh, I have a really special singular relationship with the Los Angeles Clippers. And a big part of it is because you can actually follow the game in an arena without being able to see what's going on 
on the court. And these types of communities, be it the people who chant, how about them Cowboys, Laker Nation, the Yankee Faithful, are you a Michigan man? All of these communities, these quote unquote nations, all exist to further kind of the same purpose with respect to the fans and people that follow the teams. We're all looking to belong in some way, shape, or form over the course of our lives. So we seek out like-minded individuals, those that we can talk about things, shared interests, commonalities. And with basketball and sports, more broadly speaking, you have a big opportunity to help out uh, the disabled members of our community who inherently kind of feel isolated. So with the Clippers, I was fortunate enough to go to 20 home games this past season. Um, The year before the pandemic, I went to around that same amount of games. And now it's at the point where when the contests appear on television, I'm listening to the in-game PA announcer as though I were actually at Staples as opposed to just sitting on my couch. So I'm kind of tuning out, like if it's a national broadcast, I'm kind of tuning out Kevin Harlan, Reggie Miller, etc. And I'm really focusing on what's being said inside the arena because there are different little nicknames or songs that are played at specific times during each contest. And basketball is different from, from baseball. I, I have a somewhat difficult time going to like Dodgers um, or Angels games now. Uh, there's just a lot of sort of time spent in limbo where there's not a whole lot going on. There's not a lot to focus on. But when you go to a basketball game, from the perspective of a visually impaired person, there are so many different sounds going on that clue you in as to what's taking place on the court. So it's the sound of sneakers, that squeaking, basically, of the sneakers. It's the swish that you hear when a ball drains through the net. It's the way in which a crowd responds to a particularly hard foul or a three-point shot that definitely shouldn't have gone in, a slam dunk. If you watch it enough, if you go to enough of these, you can pick up what the sound means as to what's going on in the court, even though you haven't literally seen it. And at this point, if I go out in the world and I wear a Clippers hat and someone says, oh, hey, nice hat, it's a little bit like you're a part of a secret society. Um, This is a Lakers town and it always will be. So when someone is a part of that same club, that exclusive Clippers club, it's a really, really special thing. So when I contemplate having been to support groups um, through the Braille Institute and other outlets, the one that has done the most for me was not associated with those groups necessarily, but it's being a part of quote unquote Clipper Nation. I have a special Clippers only podcast that I listen to after the games. Uh, There are ways in which I analyze the box scores and So when I thought about Beat Baseball, the Long Island Bombers, 
and how much having that in their lives really does for all involved. I couldn't help but think of my involvement with the Clippers. And sometimes if I've gone to games by myself, uh, I can basically hear it in a person's voice when they're going, wait, why doesn't he just stay home and watch this on his couch? But they don't know how special being a part of that larger group truly is and what you can pick up, how you can put it all together without ever actually seeing what's going on on the court. So in tribute to sports, sports, a reoccurring theme here on Visionaries and the power that they possess to make people's lives a little bit better. That's why I wanted to talk about my involvement with the Los Angeles Clippers on today's Connecting the Dots segment of Visionaries. No, I think it's it's great because sports, in my opinion, is something that is a universal is a universal unifier um, for so many people, regardless of what you're going through. You could be diametrically opposite um, from somebody that you, know, you you could be in a bar and you guys could think differently about everything else, but you're both New York Knicks fans. And that one thing could make you guys in that moment seem like the best of friends or feel like, Oh, I have a connection to this guy. That is what sports does for people, regardless of what you're going through. And just like how we, you know, Ted mentioned, and, you know, we kind of emphasized it, the Long Island Bombers beat baseball provides that feeling of camaraderie and competitiveness and community and opportunity that they they might they may not have had otherwise and sports is what kind of brought that feeling back for them and being a part of the like you said clippers community being a part of that you know it, it allows you to have something in common with people that you know in other ways you may not and it's the same thing for me with yankee fans i know so many people that i if, if they weren't Yankee fans, like I might not even talk to them. Or I might not even be like any kind of friends with them, but because we have that connection of being able to watch a Yankee game together and be cheering on Aaron judge and, you know, all the players on the team and to be bad, bad mouthing the Dodgers and the Mets and the Red Sox, especially, and everybody else that we don't like that connection comes through sports. And I think it was great that you put an emphasis on that, especially, you know, again, keeping in theme with our uh, profiles and courage, a uh, member that we had come on today. Sports is a unifier for so many people. And it's, and I recommend, honestly, you know, if, if there are times where maybe you're struggling to make friends or you feel that you're left out of a situation or anything like that, sports could be the way to find a gr- group of people that you want to be around or hang out with, because that's happened for me before. Um, it's happened for John and I'm sure that it could happen for you as well. Absolutely. That was a great way to close it out. I'm so happy that you told that story because to me, sports is very important in my life. And I think that it it could be important in so many other people's lives who really haven't fully discovered it and embraced it yet. So great way to close the show out. Uh, Please give us a follow at visionaries underscore podcast on our Instagram. If you want to see our updates for when our episodes are posted on Spotify and Apple podcasts, hit us up, give us a DM. If you want to send us anything, any recommendations, any comments, concerns, anything you want, we are always looking and we will always be open to receiving those. Thank you guys so much for listening to another great episode of visionaries. We're going to keep coming with these episodes every single week. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Talk to you soon.